Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So, the Abrahamic Covenant is coming clearer. What has happened is God has seen fit to use Pharaoh that they might become, the nation might become very numerous. The problem is they don't have a land yet. So Pharaoh gets nervous that all these people now could possibly rise up and do him some kind of harm so he enslaves them. What happens here is not good for Pharaoh. Now, it's not good for the people of Israel, but it's not good for Pharaoh because of this. Remember when he said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Pharaoh runs smack dab into the promise of God, and it's not a good place to be to be working against God. So, that being said, this is one of the problems God has. The people, his people, have grown comfortable. And so now he's going to have to ask them to leave to go to a place called the promised land. But the, the real dynamic here is they've been here for four centuries. And they may not want to leave. Uh, listen to this. I believe this is a, a true thing. No one begins the journey to spiritual wholeness until the pain of staying where we are becomes greater than the pain of moving to where God wants us to be. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you get that? I had to read it through about four times before I got it. You're only getting twice, so listen to the second time. Here we go. I'll repeat it. No one begins the journey to spiritual wholeness until the pain of staying where we are becomes greater than the pain of moving to where God wants us to be. To go where God wants you is going to cause some discomfort. Can I just tell you right now? Some of you today don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you today are in captivity. And the Lord says, I want you to rise in that place and go my way. The problem is, this is what he calls you to. I want you to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. That's pain. That's hardship. So going Jesus' way is good news, but it's good news because that hardship is a whole lot better than the hardship and the hell you're living in right now. You're in captivity. God wants you free. You are in Egypt. God wants you in the promised land. You are in a dark place. God wants you in the light. You are in an unredeemed place of living. God wants to redeem your soul and make you beautiful before him. He wants it. But that is not an easy thing. That includes some pain too. So you've got to make the decision, which pain do I choose? The pain I'm putting myself through? The hell I'm putting myself through? Or is it okay to say, God wants me to embrace the cross for his kingdom, for his glory? I'm willing to do that. Now the gospel could be put a whole lot more, uh, how we say, easy to accept than that. I can't do that for you today. I'm not trying to make it easy. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. The place where he wants you is a whole lot better than the place you are today. You've got to be willing to go that direction. And so this is what's going to happen. God is going to say, I am going to use. Ah, you can say, well, he caused it. You can say, or he didn't cause Whatever you want to say here. But God is going to use suffering. He's going to use bondage. He is going to use their search for identity. He's going to use homesickness. He's going to use a divine call at the burning bush. He is going to use all of that to cause the people to want 
to leave. And I believe this of, you, of everybody here today, and that is God, by his prevenient grace, God, by his spirit, is asking you to feel a little uncomfortable where you are today because he wants you to go to a, another place. Even if you're saved and sanctified today, God says, yeah, I got a better place to go to than even where you're at today. And you're thinking, and I got it real good today. How many people say I got it real good today? Amen, me too. Put your hand up, hallelujah. And he wants you in a better place. So he's going to say, I want to create a little discomfort for where you are today because I want you to, to go to a place that's even better. But that better place, you've got to admit, that better place may just, may just hurt a little bit. might cause you a little pain. There might be some heartbreak there. There may be some disappointment there. That's the way it is with any place that's well worth going to. I'm thinking about that for, hey, how many of y'all taking a vacation this summer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go, man. But even that, listen, you've got to say, hey, I'm willing to pick up here to go to there. But the fact of the matter is, that's some hassle, isn't it? Uh, we haven't taken many vacations across here. A, I can't afford it. But guess what? If you're going to go on vacation, you're going to put some money out there, right? If you're going to go on vacation, you've got to get up and get in that car and say, whoa, this is cool. I'll get an eight-hour drive ahead of me. Woo! You know, I, can I tell you the truth? I, 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 uh, I just got, got in uh, from flying. I went to northern Ohio, so I flew into an airport there, flew out. I, I, I put something together. You're going to think this is just as stupid as it can be. Oh, this, this is the truth. I hate flying. I hate flying. I'd rather drive. Give me a choice. I'll drive. Yeah, but Matt, that's 16 hours. That's 18 hours of driving. Yeah, I'd rather do that than this. And then start figuring out, why do I hate flying? I mean, what's so wrong with flying? You're sitting down with a bunch of people. And, no, I, it, it, I've got a little quirk in my personality. And this is it. As I'm going through the uh, security thing, this is the whole nine yards, I, I swear. I, I, I finally figured this out. As I'm going through the security thing, and right, they take, make you take your shoes off. Uh, they always pat me down. I got something up here that I think is just major muscle, but they don't believe it. So they got, they got we got to feel you down there, mister. Feel away, man. You're going to be impressed. Feel away. <laughs> Whoa, that is impressive. Go on through, mister. You know I mean? They never say that. I think it's like a bone that sticks out or something. Oh, yeah, okay, you go on through. Anyway, I always forget. What is it that freaks me out about this process? It's only about a three-minute process. What is there that drives me nuts? I hate flying for one reason. I hate thinking I'm holding them up. I go into a little panic. Oh, i got to do this fast. I'm, oh, I, I want to get through. Oh, and then something goes wrong. And these, and these people back here, they'll go, <sighs> that is the whole nine yards of why I hate to fly. You know what I'll just do back to them? Oh, yeah, take this. <gasps> It happens. Hey, sometimes I forget something. Sometimes I forget to take something out. It happened this. Guess what? Got in such a panic that they stopped me. We can't let this man go through with his bag. It's a dangerous bag. It's my computer bag. Don't let him go through with his computer bag. Don't do it. Why? Why? I can't wait to see what's in the computer bag. I'm holding people up. I mean, people back there going, <sighs> I'm thinking, what is it? What is it? Oh, I put my Diet Coke in the bag, and liquids can't go through. And everybody says, everybody can't, what was it? Was it a gun? No, just my Diet Coke. <laughs> that whole thing, three minutes of anxiety is why I hate flying. I got to tell you, folks, it's worth flying anyway if it gets you that much faster and it's safer. Everything about it's better. Why don't I like it? 
Well, imagine you're in Egypt. And you've got to say, you know, I don't like this more than I'm not going to like that. I've got to go God's direction because he's obviously setting it up for me to go. No one begins the journey to spiritual wholeness until the pain of staying where we are becomes greater than the pain of moving to where God wants us to be. A couple years ago, we did a, uh, a sermon series at Hannah Whittle Smith's book, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. It should have been named The Christian Secret of a Holy Life. She was out of the holiness world. But the truth is, what she was saying was, holiness and happiness at the end of the day are the same thing to a Christian. You will never, ever really be happy until you are holy. Why? Because that's what God created you to be. And you can't be happy until you are who he created you to be. That would be, indeed, holy. But what's fascinating about that book was this. She has a picture of Joseph. And uh, Israel's chariot here, I'm going to get to that in a minute, but she says this about Joseph. Joseph had a chariot. It's not what we think. It's not just an ancient two-wheel vehicle. But the, 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 the chariot of Joseph were the trials that he had to endure. Joseph's brothers were before him, cowering fear. Joseph could tell them to relax. God set this whole thing up. You betrayed me. That was my chariot. You sold me into slavery. That was my chariot. You wrongfully accused me. You imprisoned me. That was my chariot that I might save you. Boy, that changed our whole life, wouldn't it? If we start thinking, the hardship I'm going through right now is God's chariot that he might use me even more in the days ahead. That disappointment you're going through right now work, what if that's God's chariot to take you to a place where you used even better than you're being used today. And I think the same thing, not just about Joseph. I think that about Israel. All that Israel is going through, the imprisonment, the captivity, the hard labor. And then we're going to see, if you just keep reading, then Pharaoh tries to kill their babies. And God uses all of that to save them. God uses all of that to make that the chariot that leads to the promised land. Now what's fascinating about this is when they get enslaved it messes with their brain. You can imagine that's true, don't you? If you get enslaved, it messes with your brain. A guy named Nick Grano of CNN wrote an article to this effect. He says the effects of slavery, now he's not talking about slavery as in African-American slavery of years ago. He's talking about slavery today all around the world. But he says when people are enslaved, when there's forced captivity, that, that slavery impacts your brain and how you think. All of a sudden comes depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder, among all kinds of other things. But being held prisoner reshapes the captive's brain in an extremely negative way. That is why when you read the Bible, you've got to grow up to begin thinking, hey, Moses isn't some moron here, just like we do in the New Testament. Peter's not some idiot here. I can't stand it the way some, uh, some people speak about it. Look at Peter, what a dummy. You're kidding me, right? Boy, Peter's acting the way we act. Isn't it? 
Or think about what happens to Israel. Yeah, they make mistakes. You know why they're making mistakes? Because they just had a hundred years of being held captive. They were just under the brutalization of Pharaoh. They were forced to do things they didn't want to do for decades. And now all of a sudden, they're going to snap out of it like that. That's not the way it happens, is it? Now, you know what? We heard some, we heard some stories this morning. Larry Perry was able to say, you know, I was on crack cocaine one day. God saved me. The next day, I never go back to the stuff. That is one testimony. But can I tell you the truth? Some guys say, hey, I've come to know Jesus, and I struggle with that addiction the rest of my life. That's why i got to go to meetings. That's why I have to have the church. That's why I have to have small groups around me all the time. That's why I need constant prayer, because I do struggle with it, and that's a testimony as well. And God can use that testimony as a chariot upon which he uses you in the world. I don't know why he does that with Larry Perry and not with all of us. But the fact of the matter is, guess what? Some of us will struggle the rest of our life with our addiction. You say, well, I don't have any addiction. You ever heard of food? Yeah, you're looking at a guy right now that has a food addiction. How do I know? Because I'm 40 pounds overweight. That's not how I know. Well, that's not a real addiction. Really? Really? That's not a real addiction? Or crack cocaine? Or gambling? Or, well, we all got stuff that we can struggle with. And frankly, even after we become Christian, struggle with it. And for us to say, no, 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 I don't have any problems at all. I don't struggle with it. I don't have any temptations. I'm not so sure that's quite true. Why don't you go ahead and submit yourself to a small group and let us start talking about the temptation we see you struggle with, right? The Wesleyans had a band meeting. John Wesley preached. You know what he wanted everybody to do? Get in a meeting. And when you get in a meeting, you know the first question I'm going to ask? What known sins have you committed this week? And there would always be guys who say, not me. I'm holy. No sins here. One of the questions was, do you desire to be told of the sins we see in you? Yeah, yeah, I'm not so sure we want to submit to that. No, I'd rather say I don't have any sins, but don't you go poking around in my life. I'm not so sure. Trust your perspective there, Noel. I'm not so sure about this. But that's, all, that's an interesting one. All of a sudden now, let's talk about one another. Why? Because we love one another. Why? Well, this is why. I struggled with this one for years. It's silly, but it gives you an idea. Uh, I used to dress up every, every day to go to work. I put on a put on a uh, nice shirt, button-down shirt, put on a tie. And I'd always do this. i put on the tie knowing full well that on the way out the door, someone was going to stop me and say, wait a minute, Dad. And it might be my, wait a minute, husband. And they'd put the tie underneath my collar. That's where it belongs, right? I mean, I'm thinking I'm dressing right. The tie, but someday I would get out, and guess what? No one would stop me. I just got out the door. Wife didn't see me. Kids didn't see it. And so I proceed through the day. I swear I've gone the whole day long with my tie outside of my collar. I get home. I look at myself in the mirror. I'm thinking, there's not a single person in this world that loves me. Because if you love somebody, you fix. Listen, it happened with Tim this morning. Tim's collar was down. I said, hey, buddy, how you doing? I just fixed this collar. Why? Because I love him. That's what you do to one another, right? You fix stuff. Hey, your fly's down. Whoa. <laughs> Why? Not because you want to embarrass them. You love them. 
Dude, I see something in you that's not godly. Whoa, now that, hey, tell me my flies down, I can work with that. But don't go nitpicking. But that's what happens when the people are in captivity. They get saved. Guess what? Our brain's messed up with. We're going to continue to need help to say, how can I find my way out of captivity to say, how can I be all the person that Jesus wants me to be? And that won't happen without accountability. Everyone's got a testimony about their being in captivity and how they got out. And if you don't have that testimony yet, then we pray here at Dayspring that you will find yourself in captivity and Jesus delivers you. Even today that could happen. Do you believe that? Even today, today could be the day of your deliverance. Today could be the day of your salvation. Today could be the day when you rise up from Egypt and say, let's get across the Red Sea. For God wants us to continue on our journey. Amen. You can be captive to all kinds of things. I think the number one thing that almost all of us deal with is pride. The big me. The big I. Right? Yeah, I, I think I know what God wants me to do, but this is what I want to do. And I leads all across our life. It goes to money. I know what God wants, but I've got a better plan for my money than he's got. Some of us deal with sexuality. I know what God's will for my life is sexually, but frankly, I'm, all the kids are in bed, wife's asleep, and it's 1 p.m. No one will ever know what I'm doing on my computer right now. And did you know that they say 60 to 70% of men in the church struggle with internet pornography? Did you know that they say that 50% of pastors struggle with internet pornography? You say, well, well, but it's not that big a deal. Just what goes past. It's a big deal. It's outside the will of God, and Jesus wants to deliver you. He wants to, deal you, he wants to deliver you from money and from a love of money. He wants to deal you, uh, heal you from materialism. He wants to heal you from your food addiction. He wants to heal you from internet pornography. He wants to heal you from the desire to be powerful and prestigious. Now, we've been clipping along here, and we haven't talked about the pastor much. Let me go ahead and give you a little personal testimony here on prestige. I've struggled the last couple of years. I think my family would say, you know, Dad's been kind of weirding out lately on some things. And one of the things I've been weirding out on is prestige. I haven't written the bestseller that I thought I'd have written by now. I thought I'd write a book that everybody'd want to read. <laughs> ain't happened, I can tell you right now. The books I produce, ain't nobody reading them. There. You say, whoa, whoa, I have. Well, thank you very much. But on the whole, you're just a strange one that you, you like one of my books. <laughs> it hadn't happened. I thought it would happen by now. I thought I'd, I'd be a big-time speaker on the circuit. I thought my church would be 1,000 people, 2,000, 3,000 people by now. I thought all kinds of things with my life. It just hadn't happened. That's what I wanted for my life. Now, they say all men hit midlife and they start thinking stupid thoughts. Let me tell you about my midlife crises. At age 41, uh, we gave birth to a church and to a boy. I didn't have time for a midlife crisis. I was zipping around trying to figure out all the things. Now I think I'm starting to hit it. Now, now that I'm no longer midlife, I'm starting to walk, you know, starting to walk slower and, and you all starting to help me out to the car now. Now I started to hit midlife crises. And I thought, you know, I haven't done some things I really, and you know, it happened again this week. Can I just give you a testimony here? Happened this week. 
district superintendent put me in charge of a committee in our district. He was an important committee. I mean a real important committee. It's the one thing this district needs more than any other thing. And he said, Matt, I want you to ride herd on it. I want you to provide the leadership. Matt, you the man. I just felt my chest go out and thought, I am the man. <laughs> and they didn't talk to me about it for eight months. I mean, I kept saying, hey, I gotta write them a letter. Hey, hey, listen, whenever you want to get this thing started, let's have a talk. Whenever you want me to call the committee together, give me instructions. We'll move with it. Nothing. I got a phone call about hmm, three days ago. I thought this would happen. Now that I thought it's been eight months. I thought, hey, he's thinking, of hey, Matt, how you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Hey, want to talk to you about that church planting thing? Oh, yeah, cool, yeah. And here it comes. Matt, I'm putting somebody else in charge of it. Now, this is how he put it. You, know, you got to think. It took him eight months to think of this. Man, it's just going to take so much, and you're too busy. I don't want to put that on you. Yeah, well, whatever. Whew. Air went right out of my mouth. Hey, still on the committee, Matt. We have to have you on the committee. But you're not going to be leading. Got this other guy. Knows a lot more than you do about it. A lot more experience. By the way, that's true. Knows more, more experience, everything about it. He ought to be leading it. In that moment, Jesus brought this to mind. Matt, for the last four years, you've been praying a prayer, and I need for you to take it seriously right now. And the prayer is a John Wesley Covenant prayer. If you don't pray this daily, you need to get it. You need to memorize it. My family's got to memorize it. We pray it all the time. But I pray it every night before my head hits the pillow. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Now, there's about another 50 lines, but that one right there. Jesus, I'm praying. You put me to what you will. You rank me with whom you will, which means this. I'm trusting that if I get a position, you want me in that position. If I don't get the position, you didn't want me in the position. In other words, the district superintendent didn't make that decision. Jesus did. I just accepted it. But my old big eye inside still kind of wants to fight against it. Yeah, well, the district superintendent, he ain't nothing. He's not that much. Yeah, stop it. Shut up. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is Jesus getting you out of your captivity. That apparently, Matt, you're still dealing with. You're still addicted to prestige. Enough. So I'm going to tell you, there's all kinds of things. And I want you to know there, is a, there are testimonies to how people got out of captivity. Now, you all know how I do church. Sometimes things are really well old and planned. Sometimes not so much. This would be one of those times. Not so much. I'm going to ask Preston and Billy to come up here. This thing working? Yeah. Preston, Billy, come up here. They don't know that this is happening. <laughs> Let's hold that a minute. Uh, these are two guys I love, two guys I trust. Just Before they start, I just want to say this. Everybody here ought to have a testimony of how I once was a slave to prestige, to power, to money, to sex. I once was a slave, but God lifted me out of my captivity and saved me.
everybody has a testimony like that. And I, I just ask these two guys because I know they do. And uh, I love them and know them and trust them. And they know that Matt likes to abuse them. So I just, I'm going to do that. <laughs> but I just want to say this. I'm going to give you guys 60 seconds so you can be thinking about it. 60 seconds of how, how desperate I was in my captivity and how Jesus saved me out of it, okay? You guys ready? But before you go, Jesus saved the freedom and family that were in captivity. Now, I cannot tell my testimony without telling my dad's testimony, too, because we're linked. I know that's... Everybody's supposed to make their own profession of Jesus, and I have. But I made mine in large measure because of my dad, because my dad set it up for our whole family. This is what happened. Jerry Friedman... Hmm. Jerry Friedman was once enslaved to money, to gambling, to smoking, and drinking. Now, that's the whole family. That was his daddy. That was his mother. They weren't evil, wicked people. It wasn't just a disastrous lifestyle. In fact, they were very respected people in the community. But that's what they did with their lives. They smoked. They drank. They, uh, they were in life for business purposes, and they gambled. They just weren't redeemed. Jesus wanted Jerry Friedman out of that family to be saved and lifted out of captivity. And I don't know what happened exactly, but he married my mother. They still weren't redeemed. They were still in captivity. But when he married mother, mother had very respectably gone to church her whole life. Why? I don't know. I've been to that church they went to. Can't imagine why you even want to go there. Except it was respectable to do. So they did it. So mom said on Sundays, we, Freedomans, Jerry and Janice Freedoman, we're going to church. They were just church people. They went to church. And my dad found Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior in a Sunday school class. And my dad told my mom about it. My mom committed her life to Jesus Christ. And then they started making some changes in their life. They said gambling has got to go. Smoking has got to go. Drinking has got to go. Living just to make money has got to go. And my dad threw his life into this Jesus thing. Now, I got to tell you, he wasn't a perfect guy. I mean, I can tell you stories about his imperfections, but the fact of the matter was, on the whole, he set my entire family up with a choice to make. Choose Jesus. And we knew the choice was there. You don't have to live in captivity. You can rise up and go where we really belong. And that changed me so much so that one day, <laughs> Dad set me up to a house church where I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And from that point on, I started heading to Mary Friedman. I married Mary. She has a story, not unsimilar to mine, but we get together and we decide we want Jesus babies to live Jesus lives, to have Jesus careers. Now, I, I, you know, some of these kids are here today, so I, I'm not going to brag about them. And you know them and you know their strengths and weaknesses. But on the whole, we've got kids most of which are going to go into the ordained ministry and most of which have decided with their careers, all of them with their lives, but some of them with their careers to say, this is how we choose to live our life out. That all was started 
with Jesus delivering Jerry Friedemann from captivity. And that starts a long line. Now, that's just one of the lines, but that's one of the lines that goes right through my life. And some of you have a similar story because Jesus did that with your parents or with your grandparents or with your great-grandparents. Hey, he lifted you up out of captivity as well as your mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. And some of you said, man, you have no idea about my story. Yeah, I do. I know some of y'all's story. The captivity you were in was your own captivity. And Jesus saved you from the place where your mom and dad set you up in order to know him as the Lord and Savior. I don't care how he does it. I'm just grateful he did it with my dad. I'm grateful he did it with my mother. I'm grateful he did it with me. And I'm grateful he's done it with my kids. And guess what? I think because of Jerry Friedemann's decision to follow Jesus, because of God's work in my dad's captivity, God is going to bless people for centuries, I kid you not, for centuries to come. I believe it. And I thank God for a delivering Savior. So, Preston, 60 seconds, and if you want to stretch out the 90, I'll let you. But 60 seconds, describe your captivity, describe how the deliverer lifted you out of it. Even trying to tell what God has done in my life in 90 seconds is probably about as big a miracle as what he did in my life. Uh, uh, So, uh, yeah, 90 seconds. Um, So, yeah, my life was completely turned upside down, Uh, completely given over to drugs, uh, sexual immorality. Um, To try to even explain where I was at would be to try to to describe to y'all a completely different person. When I try to talk to the youth, um, it almost comes across. I think I think I try to tell it a little bit jokingly because I don't know try to, I don't know how to explain to them who I was. Um, it's not the person you see standing before you today. It's a miracle that I think that I am standing before you today. I think probably if me and this brother right here was to talk to each other, the only difference we probably have in each other is that his reality probably should have been my reality and I think it was probably God's grace that really only kept me from living walking in his shoes literally Um, but it's through people each and every one of you that has God spoke through and friends of mine who I'm very close to to this day that God began to speak through my wife who God began to speak through very different circumstances through Wesley Biblical Seminary through Dr. Friedemann that God began to move in my life um, through very rock bottom things that I hit, but God began to really begin to move in my life and began to change me in ways that I never thought possible. Um, but my life was a whirlwind. Uh, I was lost in, in, in every sense of the word, but God really got a hold of me. And it, it hasn't, for me, it wasn't a, a moment. But it's been a, a slow progression of him slowly pulling out the roots and the depth that sin, pulling back layers and layers and showing me uh, how deep it was. Since I've been here. I mean, yeah. since no, he came, he, he was not the youth pastor when he came no, here, no, nor no. would I have allowed him to be a youth pastor. <laughs> I, I, st- I still tell, that's I, 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 why I still joke with y'all. I can't believe y'all still let me be the youth pastor. I still, sometimes I'm amazed, but uh, yeah, no, y'all, Dayspring plays a, a major part in my testimony.
don't know him, he's a dear friend of, of mine now, and he's also begun taking class at the seminary. Billy, tell us about your captivity. Uh, well, Matt asked me that. Something came to mind. I remember uh, being in my drug addiction, and I had a 20-year drug addiction. I remember begging, even getting on my knees and crying for God to deliver me from my addiction. And each time he put me in jail, I got 64 arrests. I've been in jail 64 times. And each time God delivered me, I went right back to my captivity. Same as the people of Israel, how they wanted to go back to captivity. The difference was I did go back to my captivity. So this last time, four years ago, I was back in my drug addiction, and I refused to beg God for help because I knew that I was going to land back in jail. Until I just had enough, I finally hit my knees, and I was literally in jail the next week. So um, when I did this time, he put something in front of me that was too big of a, a hurdle for me to, to jump over, and it was facing a life sentence the rest of my life in prison. So I hit my knees hard. Different circumstances arise, uh, people from this church, people in jail, ministering to me, making confirmation, letting me know that God was still with me. I didn't see how he was going to deliver me from it, but I just had hope. My faith was weak, very weak, but I had hope, and he came through with the hope. So I made an oath to God that I would spend the rest of my life living for him, and that's what I'm going to do. Now, I think I could say this of, of these guys' lives, but of any one of us as well. I looked up the word nightmare. It's, uh, my favorite thing to do is actually look up the definition of English words. The definition of nightmare, a frightening or a very unpleasant dream. That's what happens when I think about what the next 100 years looks like if Jerry Friedman doesn't receive Jesus as personal Savior. I think about what happens if Matt Friedman doesn't do the same. I think about what happens if Mary doesn't do the same thing. I just think about the hell on earth that happens because we don't know Jesus. We haven't been delivered. And I think these two guys could say the same thing. Oh, the hell we would live in today if we're still living in our captivity and creating even more hell in our captivity. I want to show you one more friend of mine here, uh, a gentleman named Paul Tashiro. He has spoken here. Some of you might remember him. Let me retell the story very briefly. He's Japanese. He was 12 or 13 when the war was starting to wind down, World War II. And uh, in Japan, they're beginning to recruit younger and younger and younger men until they go all the way down to 12 and 13-year-olds. And they looked at Paul Teixeira, the young Paul Teixeira, at 12, 13 years of age, and said, we want you to be a kamikaze pilot. Now, you all know what kamikaze pilot is. We saw some of what that was all about at a place called 9-11, when the plane directly hits, and that is what creates the damage. It's people live inside the plane hit. Now, kamikaze pilot, he's the only guy inside the plane, but that's what he fully intends to do, is to go down and hit an allied target, frequently an American target, and give up their life so they can create damage to this person, place, or thing. And Paul Tuchero at age 12 and 13 got asked to come be a part of that scenario. So they train him to fly a plane. First, the thing they do is say, we want to know if you got the right stuff. And part of that, as Paul says, is they take you 10 miles out into the ocean and drop you off. If you make it back, if you can fight off the sharks, if you can swim that far, then yes, we will let you become a kamikaze pilot. 
and he made it, and he was ready. And they taught him how to fly. They taught him how to ram. They taught him how to destroy things. They did not teach him how to land. He says, it's true. They don't teach you how to land. So he was taken up. He was given this training, and he's about ready to go on his mission to go destroy something American when Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened. The bombs fell on Japan and ended the war. Now, his captivity was this. The emperor is God. They all believed it. He believed it. The emperor is God. He is the one that owns the universe. He's the one that's in charge of everything. Therefore, we can't lose. Therefore, we won't lose. And they lost. Now, all of a sudden, your God is gone. You know the emperor's not God. And so, as a young man, he just starts walking around. He starts getting into the drug culture and, and, and starts drinking rice wine, as he says. And his life is going absolutely nowhere. And he knows, in his heart of hearts, I live in a captivity here. One day he's going by a tent. It's a big old tent, big old huge tent. He's going by, someone grabs him up and says, let's go inside this tent. And he goes inside the tent. They take him all the way down to the front row of the inside of that tent, and it's a camp meeting. American missionaries have come to Japan, and they're now doing camp meetings inside of Japan, leading people to Christ, and he says yes that night to Jesus Christ. Changed his life. He eventually would get training, come to Wesley Biblical Seminary, and he would teach Old Testament at Wesley Biblical Seminary for two decades. This is how he tells a story. Yeah, shares everything I just shared. But he says, one day I'm presenting this at a church, a Methodist church. And uh, I see that there's someone coming down the aisle towards me. It looks like a guy, maybe as old as I am, maybe older. And as he's coming down the aisle, he, he's on canes, and he, he can't really make it so good. You can tell he can't see very well. People are helping him come down. And Paul says, let's do an altar call. So there's an altar call going on. So Paul's kind of busy with the altar call. But somebody says, this old guy wants to talk to you. Paul says, I'll be with him. He says, no, I think he wants to talk to you now. Paul says, all right. So he goes over to this old man. He says, what can I do for you, sir? He says, I want you to know I hate your guts. A kamikaze pilot did this to me. Hit our ship. Damaged my body. I've been like this since World War II. I hate your guts. He says, or at least I did when you came in here tonight. He says, but now you've told your story. And I'm realizing now that the same Jesus that has saved me has saved you. And therefore, you and I can now be brothers. They embrace, and as Paul tells Paul Teixeira tells a story. He says, we were both boohooing in each other's arms. How great it is that Jesus lifts us up out of our captivity, takes us across the proverbial Red Sea in our lives, and says, now you can live an entirely different life than you were living back there in slavery. Some of you are living outside of slavery. Praise be to God. Some of you are still there. Jesus says to you today, Follow me. I'll take you to a place where you didn't even imagine, where there's meaning and purpose and holiness and goodness like you've never known before. I do not tell you, says Jesus, it will be easy. I tell you, it will be good.
Jesus, I ask that your spirit move across this room right now. And Lord, some of us out of captivity still deal with some of the brain damage that happened back there in captivity in so much that we still struggle with things. Help us in our struggles. But Lord, as we preach along this map, we're going to find out there comes a time when we don't have to be bent towards those struggles anymore. We can be bent towards you, absolutely. But Jesus, I just pray right now, if there's anybody here today that is still captive, that this would be the day of their deliverance. Jesus, this would be the day where you lift them up out of their Egypt and set them towards the Red Sea and the salvation that comes across that body of water. Jesus, be extraordinary in this room today. Convince some here today what they need to know to move forward with Jesus Christ. Bill Durham, I'm going to ask you to come up here right now and just stand here. And I don't know if there's anybody here that would like to come down and talk with Bill after this service to say, what does it mean to be delivered from captivity? What does it mean to be set free? And if anybody would like to talk about that, Bill's going to be right here. But Jesus, if there's somebody here, there may be a dozen somebody's here, maybe just one, but I know there's somebody here that needs to talk with Bill about what it means to be set free free. Give them the boldness. Give them the crazy courage. After We're about ready to say everybody's dismissed. After everybody's dismissed, to come down here and say, Mr. Bill, teach me what it means to be delivered. In the name, Lord Jesus, of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray today. Amen and amen. God bless you, dear friends. Thank you very much.